Hello and welcome to Under Another Name. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Uh, and I want to start with what I think is a really revealing uh, clip. Uh, many of you will remember it. Uh, so the clip is Boris Johnson going into a hospital and he's confronted by um, a distraught father. Now, this distraught father does turn out to be a Labour activist, as many people were keen to point out just after but I just want you to notice what the Prime Minister does. Um, there are not enough people on this war. There are not enough doctors. There are not enough nurses. It's not well organised enough. Right. The NHS has been destroyed. Right. It's been destroyed. It's been destroyed. And now you come here for a press opportunity. Well, actually, there's no press here. What do you mean there's no press here? Who are these people? There's no press here, says the Prime Minister, surrounded by cameras, and you can hear the cameras going off. You can see, you know, the, the man is literally looking at maybe 20 cameras. We can't see that side of, of things. There are flashbulbs going off. And the Prime Minister's first response, his default response, is to lie. Now, Joe, you, I'll bring in Joe here, uh, you obviously run critical thinking and, and I know that one of the things that you teach about is this difference between system one and system two thinking. There's a kind, So our system one thinking is where we're not doing hard work, we're just sort of relying on our sort of instincts. It's the sort of um, two plus two equals four thinking. And for me, when I watch this clip, I just think, well, what is this guy's system one thinking? His system one thinking is to lie. So I would I would go even further than that. I think I think system one, system two is quite a useful way of thinking about this. And actually a good way of thinking about politicians like Boris Johnson is just to think of them as system one politicians. So if, if we take Daniel Kahneman's idea about system one and system two, um, system one is, as you say, that instinctive, automatic response, which requires no critical effort, no mental effort at all. And that's very much part of Johnson's appeal, that he is very, very effective as a as a system one politician, as someone who speaks instinctively and from his gut and in a way that people respond to. Now, what's illuminating to me about that clip is not so much that his instinct is to lie, because if you thought, think about it, it's such a bad lie. You'd never tell that. You'd never you'd never opt for that as a strategy in that situation. It, it's like immediately disproven. What it tells me about Johnson is not so much that he lies as much as he constructs his reality as he goes. That's what makes him such a flawed human being, but also potentially a very, very effective politician in the 21st century. So Johnson just constructs his reality as he goes from situation to situation. Whatever he needs to be true at a given moment is true. And that's how that's how he works. And I think that's actually how he works from, from what I can tell, from what I've read about him in his personal life. Um, and it's, it's just, he's just brought that straight into his political career. And the result is that when he speaks, and you can really see the difference with someone like Keir Starmer, who actually is worth thinking about as a kind of system two politician, right? Keir Starmer is kind of like always weighing everything. He's always thinking about the pros and cons of, 
of 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 you know sticking or twisting in each given situation um and it, and it's again deeply problematic for a political leader to do that because what it means is there's no there's no authenticity at all um so what the system one approach enables johnson to do is just to connect with voters at this very instinctive gut level and for the most part if they like the version of reality he's creating um or they just enjoy the sense of the repartee of like this guy would be great fun to go to the pub with they don't really mind um mm. about whether the veracity of what he's saying and i think i, that's feel, I feel like a I feel like the, the, what we've chosen below us here for our names, I, I'm doing the System 2 thing of doing the very formal James Armstrong full name. Those of us listening to the podcast have got no idea what we're talking about, though. Um, sure. We've, we've got our names beliefers on YouTube, and Joe's just gone for the common man, call me Joe, whereas I've gone for my full Joe. formal name. We're, we're James and Joe. I mean, I, I mean to be fair, you, know, you made that mistake, or I don't know, one of us made a mistake. I also... When my when the camera enlarged, because we were using this new thing today, and my glasses were suddenly like that, <laughs> and I hadn't noticed. So the first two minutes was actually just me like doing this, with my glasses so, while I was trying to talk. So, yeah. A nice a nice example of what you were talking about is um, Sonia Purnell. Now I've not read read the book, but we um, we both attended a talk by Sonia via um, the online mechanism of Microsoft Teams, and she was talking about when Johnson used to work at the Telegraph. And she described him as the arch procrastinator. He would spend all day doing whatever, pacing up and down his office, being uh, being Boris, really, not taking his job too seriously, which uh, I would contend he still doesn't. And then she said that he would start shouting at a potted plant. I mean, this is a true story. He would just start screaming at a potted plant, and then she she'd hear him typing furiously, yeah. um, and 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 then his column would appear out of that um, completely chaotic process. Um, so notice not what's not happened there. He hasn't done any serious journalism. He hasn't researched his story. He's not on the phone interviewing people. He's just in an entirely sort of um, egoistic, introspective universe where um, Mr. Johnson is the only thing that really matters. And again, that hasn't changed. And then he just fires out this screed. And remember about Mr. Johnson, notice I'm not calling him Boris, and I suggest that others don't do the same. Notice that um, when the e-referendum campaign first kicks off, he doesn't know what he thinks. He has to write two columns, and then he sits down. I'm just imagining now he sits down with the two columns in front of front, front of him, and he's not thinking intellectually about what's best for the country. He's thinking about what's best for him. Um, and he makes the decision, well, lots of my colleagues are going to go remain. Uh, if I go for the Leave side, I'm going to be the most prominent politician on the Leave side alongside Michael Gove. And that's going to be my opportunity to become prime minister. I genuinely think it's that egocentric. He's not oh, concerned yeah. about the country at all. He's just thinking about his naked political ambition. Yeah, I mean, there's loads I want to come in on that because this is, I've thought a lot about um, about Johnson's character because I think he's really revealing about the state of UK politics. So I think, um, you know, the, for me, like Johnson becoming elected as prime minister 
was was a really revealing moment to me about the political system that I was in and actually had quite a radicalizing effect on me because the last of my illusions that this kind of like stable center ground consensus would basically just produce like these middle of the road politicians who are essentially, you know, fine at managing stuff. You know, I mean, A, now I've come to the view that those politicians were, you know, uh, really, you know, in, in some cases, well, hugely flawed in, in various different ways. But um, but for, for Johnson to be able to become prime minister was just something that instinctively for me was a was a sign that the political reality, as I had understood it, didn't really exist. And so if we just go back, I'm, I'll go back to what you're talking about and then we'll, we'll move forward to the referendum. So in terms of his journalistic career, don't forget Johnson's also sacked for lying, making up a quote from, I think, maybe his uncle, I can't remember, an older relative of his who's an historian. Johnson just makes up a quote that he thinks sounds good uh, in the Times and he's sacked. I think it's um, in the Telegraph, isn't it? Isn't it? No, no, um, he's sacked from the Times prior to the Telegraph. Okay. In the Telegraph, he's making stuff up left, right and centre. But... And there's an important element in your account there that you missed off. His columns are really good. Everyone agrees on this. Everybody around Johnson agrees the stuff he's turning out is, is far superior to them in terms of just hitting home at, you know, the, 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 the political world of Middle England. He just, he just knows how to speak to it in a, in a way that, that none of his peers can partly because of his rhetorical style partly because he's just willing to to make stuff up in ways that they're not so in, in both in terms of like moral approach and also just his his flair he he's a cut above and so of course he quickly advances to a you know a uh you know lavish salary and he becomes a sort of star columnist and of course he then gets to edit the spectator and so on so his journalistic career his political career is built on the back of that kind of insanely chaotic process where Another really, really important element to remember about Johnson is he loves the High Wire Act. He's absolutely addicted to the edge. This is why sometimes he'll do things that, you know, people talk about him as this really effective politician, but he's often doing things that are way, way off in terms of like political logic and which do get him into a lot of trouble. I'm thinking here about, for example, with Dominic Cummings over the course of uh, the, the first lockdown, it was just an obvious call to remove Dominic Cummings right at the start when that scandal first broke it was it was absolutely obvious political logic and and there are a lot you can lots of different reasons you can argue about why doesn't johnson sack cummings and it could be to do with his dependence on him and so on but i also think there's a side to johnson that just can't resist doing things that he probably shouldn't do from a from a logical perspective so he's this weird mix of like he is absolutely ruthlessly ambitious and he puts his own career first but he also does things that are unnecessarily risky so there's there's a really interesting um dynamic there and this is this is why his career is like interspersed with these quite dramatic falls you know quite dramatic falls from grace you know also of course lying about his um affair to michael howard he was sacked from the i think the shadow front bench um, it, well, that reveal, it reveals something about his character, right? This is a man that doesn't expect to face consequences for his actions. Yeah, um, and part of the reason, wrong. part of the reason for that is that the media, really, for for a lot of his career, have treated him like, well, what he projects out into the world. He projects himself as a sort of unserious, jovial character, and still, still does, and somehow is still kind of getting away with this. Yeah. Um, th there's a tendency amongst the tabloid press to 
with politicians to um, to try and make us comfortable with them in a way that's not very serious and not very healthy in a democracy. So, so Margaret Thatcher becomes Maggie, uh, Tony Blair becomes Tony, um, Boris Johnson becomes Boris. This is sort of affectionate nicknames, and it's why I refuse to call him that. He's Mr. Johnson. Yeah. I mean, it's not his um, first name, which is obviously... Um, and it's also not his first name. And actually, um, yeah, it's his middle name. I'm a teacher of politics, and on my Christmas quiz, one of the questions is, what is Boris Johnson's first name? And of course, they all get it wrong. It's Alexander Boris de Feffel. Johnson is his full name, so his, his first name is Alexander. And, and um, just a point on that, James, because that name just is itself a little reminder of something, which is, of course, he's, he's got this deeply unrepresentative background. It's one of the really, again, just really interesting things about Johnson is that he can be this man of the people, and yet his his background is, you know, um, very exclusive, obviously, elite public school, attended Eton, uh, Oxford, you know, and, and, and really has spent his whole life, you know, within this very narrow social circle with whom he is immensely comfortable. You know, he's much more comfortable within that social circle. He's not comfortable at all if you actually watch him interact with people outside of that. But what he's really good at doing is just is this uh, this um, the system one persona. I can't think of a better way of saying it at the moment that that the uh, the media just respond really well to. And so, you know, yeah, he he. Um, he absolutely is just kind of like he, with the with the Brexit referendum. He's he's totally making his choices on the basis of like you know what's what's in my political interests. But but just one more thing on that, and I'm sure you will probably want to cue something up. We can we can see a little bit more of Johnson in action. But an an extra thought on that is for Johnson, kind of hardball politics is what you're there for. You know, people like Johnson don't really believe in politics as a vehicle for social transformation. They see politics in the way that they, you know, they studied you know, the history of politics in their, um, you know, in their in their education as a kind of like contest of, of wills, a contest of big egos. And so the thing to do in politics is to win that contest. That's what you really, really care about. And so, so Johnson wouldn't be at all embarrassed. And he isn't really that embarrassed when he's challenged about the fact that he just, called his position on the referendum really late because for him that just shows how good he is at it in in his right. mind that's not like something to be really embarrassed about it just shows how skillful he is that he can just, I, yeah i've written down on, on on my little notepad here like just a question how does he get away with it and i, I am going to queue up a clip because i'm going to show you um his style when he's being interviewed and 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 i guess what i notice when i watch johnson being interviewed is he's got this mode of being where he um he reaches for intangible metaphors there's a kind of um sort of thing that's going on where, where he doesn't want to say something or he can't uh, he tries to deflect so so he's developed this sort of style of of responding to things which is which is almost entirely artificial um which allows him to play the sort of bumbling, uh, this bumbling creature uh, that therefore becomes immune to criticism because, oh, it's just Boris. Um, now I'm going to show the Eddie Mayer interview that there is another clip that I do have queued up, but I might show later, um, where he's really, um, he's got his back against the wall with a journalist. He wants to show him, it's during the election, the photograph of a child sleeping on the floor of accident emergency. Um, and when his typical repartee doesn't work, 
he just snatches the phone off the journalist because he doesn't know what else to do. Uh, but let's watch a little clip from from Eddie Mayer. Let me ask you about some of the things that came up in the documentary. Right. Well, I haven't, the, I haven't seen it. So you no, but, but, but this happened in your life, so you, you know about this. The Times theory. let you go after you made up a quote. Why did you make up a quote? Well, uh, this, this, again, you know, these are, these are, these are big terms for what happened. Well, I can tell you the whole thing. I mean, it was, are you sure our viewers wouldn't want to hear more about well, housing? Right. If you don't, if you don't want to talk about the quote, let me talk about It was a long, a long and lamentable story. Okay, but you made uh, a quote which, Well, what happened was that um, I ascribed events uh, that were supposed to have taken place before uh, the death of Piers Gaveston to events that actually took yes. place after the death you of Piers You made something Gaveston. up. Let me ask you well, about another little... I mean, uh, I mildly sandpapered right. something something Let me ask you about a yes, barefaced lie. very embarrassing. Though. I'm very sorry about Let it. Let me ask you about a barefaced lie. When right. you were in Michael Howard's team, you denied to him you were having an affair. Uh, it turned out you were. And he sacked you for that. Why did you lie to your party? Well, I mean, again, I mean, with great respect, on, on that, um, I never had any conversation with Michael Howard about that matter. And, uh, you know, I don't... You did lie to him. You know, I don't propose to go into all that again. I, I, think, I don't I, I blame you. No, well, why should I? I mean, I've, I've, been, I've been through, uh, you know, uh, that question a lot with the... the they okay. watch the all documentary. Right. Okay. Uh, the why program, are we talking about something else? The programme also includes... Well, this is about your integrity. Okay. The programme includes your reaction as you listen to a phone call in which your friend, Darius Guppy, asks you to supply the address of a journalist yes. so that he can have him physically assaulted, the words beaten up and broken ribs... Are said to yes. you. And you, having heard that, you tell your friend, Darius Guppy, you will supply the address. What does that say about you, Boris Johnson? Well, Aren't you, in fact, making up quotes, lying to your party leader? Wanting to be part well, of uh, someone being physically assaulted. You're a nasty piece of work, aren't you? Well, I, you know, Eddie, I think, I think all, all three things I would, I would dispute. Well, you, um, you don't factually but, dispute them. Well, I do. And I could, you know, if we had, if we had a long time, which we don't, I, could, I could explain that I think all, all three interpretations you're putting on those things aren't, aren't, wholly, aren't wholly fair. Um, and certainly the, the final thing which you, which you raise, which is the case of um, my old friend Darius, uh, yes, it was certainly true that he was in a bit of a state and I did humour him in a, uh, in a long phone conversation uh, from which absolutely nothing eventuated. Whenever you're asked about Prime Minister, and goodness knows my... Well, we'll leave it there. Well, you saw, you saw his style, didn't you? He's desperately trying to avoid the questions. He's def, desperate. And, and Eddie Mayer is just not having it. And, and what's, uh, the reason that the interview is so well-known is because it's very, very rare for interviewers to actually just not, um, to, to not give him that space. Like, Eddie Mayer completely shuts, shuts all of that down. Um, and uh, notice that Boris Johnson... He doesn't want to lie. He says, uh, when asked, you're not disputing the truth of any of this, are you? He says, well, if, if we had longer, obviously, I'd go into this in a lot more detail. Um, well, what does that mean? And then he just says, it's not fair. Um, yeah. So he's not disputing the truth of the matter. He's just, he's just saying it's not fair. Now, I do think, I know I've just played quite a long clip, but um, I think it's worth listening to that phone call that Eddie Mayer is talking about. Boris, have you got this number? Gerard, look, there is a guy at the moment going through your brilliant his file at home. Fantastic. But 
I am telling you something, Boris. This guy has got my blood up, all right? And there is nothing which I won't do to get my revenge. It's as simple as that. Uh, how badly are you going to hurt this guy? Not badly at all. I, I really, I want to know. Okay, let me explain this. I, if, if this guy is serious, I'll be fucking curious. I guarantee you, he will not be serious. How badly hurt will he be? He will not have a broken limb or broken arm. He will not hurt. Uh, he will not be put into intensive care or anything like that. He will probably get a couple of black eyes and a, and a, and a, and a cracked rib or something like that. <laughs> Nothing which you didn't suffer in rugby, okay? But he'll get scared, and that's what I want him to do. I want him to get scared. I want him to have no idea who's behind it. Okay, I get it. Okay, so, that, so, so, so uh, pretty terrible there, but I just wanted to make sure we heard heard the clip. Um, Boris Johnson's said in the interview, nothing transpired as a, as a result of it. But the very fact that he's willing to have that conversation, he's willing to go along with his friend Darius with his plan to supply an address to have a journalist beat up. Pretty damning about the man that is now a prime minister. Uh, I mean, it is, but there is there are several things that are damning about damning about that interaction, and and some of them are are, are quite subtle. So, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is absolutely any other politician, it would be game over, right? And that in itself is quite interesting. Why is that? And and also, what you said, James, about um, the way Eddie Mayer treats him in the interview. What's missing? There's there's one word that you could summarize it, and it's indulgence. Boris Johnson is used to being indulged. That is his that is his fundamental modus operandi, is that he goes through life and people give him the benefit of the doubt. They smile at his silly jokes, they they make him feel like he's the life and soul of the party. They um they they kind of they, they get off on this on the persona that he creates and they and they therefore let go things that are kind of that they you know they might otherwise comment on. Um so that's so that's number one, and that, that tells you a lot about how, how Johnson has been able to, to be successful and get away with things other politicians wouldn't have done another a couple of really really revealing little details uh, one is the bit where he starts talking about Piers Gaveston which is so that he's made up this quote from an historian and it's about Piers Gaveston but notice how he how he quite quickly retreats into this like arcane scholarly language now he does this a lot he uses classics in this way Johnson is not a particularly distinguished student of classics he doesn't do particularly well um at Oxford um he, you know, he, he treats his studies, according to all his biographers, as just a sort of like an extra burden on the on the otherwise important, like pressing social engagements that he has in his kind of calendar while he's at, at Oxford. Um, and, and so, you know, he, you know, just contrary to his public image, he's not this like great learned professor of the classics. He's just someone who can like riff on a few um, anecdotes and, and, and can remember the old Latin quotation. But again, Johnson comes from a circle where stuff like that is like a badge of honor. And it's quite sort of, you know, being able to do this kind of stuff is um, really like your sign that you belong to the in crowd. And I think one of the really interesting things about why is what is the nature of Johnson's appeal is that he kind of lets other people feel like they could join that as well. Or that he's kind of, um, yeah, he's inviting them into this kind of exclusive, quite fun club that he's a member of. Um, and again, he's doing it with this quite like, off the cuff repartee that um, that again is very instinctive to him, and that's just that just naturally creates quite a warm bond with his audience. So again, you've got another clue in there as to why he's like sneaking under the radar. But then the third detail in the interview that I love is the one you picked out, which is when he just 
can't resist saying in response to Eddie Mayer's, you know, I don't blame you, you know, which is a, which is a very sarcastic comment. You know, I don't blame you for not wanting to talk about this affair that you lied about. He says, yeah, why should I? And actually, it's, it's a real flash of anger. It's a moment where he suddenly lets all of that guard down that he's quite carefully maintaining. And he's just quite honestly like, yeah, why the hell should I be accountable to anyone? I do what I do. What I like. And, and the fact that people ever make me accountable is, you know, absolutely unacceptable. Um, and that's the real Boris Johnson. That's the that's the the entitled little boy, the indulged little boy who lives underneath the public persona that everybody kind of, you know, the Boris that everybody um, or lots of people warm to. I think, I think, you know, for many people now that that's, that's warm thin, but enough people, enough of the population are still very much kind of um, falling for that aura. And I think what's, you know, what's striking is that's, that's survived even this disastrous year. We won't, we won't go over now, the legacy of the Conservative government in this year, but it's an appalling record of failure. And it would have it would have finished off, I think, pretty much any other prime minister. And yet Johnson is looking like he will come out of it almost un, uh, almost unscathed. That, that could change, but that's the current um, situation. So, you know, this is a guy for whom the normal rules don't apply. You mentioned the interview that he conducted where he stole the journalist's phone. You know, I've said this before on, a, on another podcast that one action, if Jeremy Corbyn had done that in the interview campaign, we would be talking about that for 20 years as evidence of what a terrible political leader Jeremy Corbyn was and how he shouldn't have been anywhere near leading a political party. But because Johnson well, does since it, you mention it, let's, let's watch that clip. What was your reaction when you saw that shocking picture of Jack Willamette, the four-year-old? Well, floor of a hospital. I have abs- every possible sympathy with uh, with families and with patients. How did you feel when a, you saw the photo? Uh, we don't have a uh, a good experience in the in the NHS, and uh, what we wanted to do, and though I think most people do, the NHS on the whole does a fantastic job, and we back them and we and we support them. But we have you seen the photo, Have you seen the photo? I've been told about it by the BBC. You, we need to be making investments. This is the photo. This is the photo. We need to be making investments now. And that's why we're putting £34 billion in. This is the four-year-old boy, Prime Minister, suspected of pneumonia, forced to lie on on the floor on a pile of coats. I understand. And and obviously we have every possible sympathy for everybody who has a bad experience in the NHS. And that's why we're putting the record investment into the NHS now. But we cannot get on and make those investments. We cannot get on and turn this country around, put in 20,000 more police, upgrading 20 hospitals, 40 new hospitals. I'm talking about this boy, Prime Minister. How do you feel looking at that photo? Of course. And let me let me tell you, let me tell you that I, I haven't had a chance to look at it. Look, Why don't you look at it now, Prime Minister? I'll study it in a, I'll study it look later. at it now. This is Jack Willamette. Um, if, if you don't mind, I'll, 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 give, you an, I'll give you an interview uh, now. What we, are, what we are doing is we are taking this country forward uh, and we are investing in the NHS. And uh, what would be the worst thing possible would be to have a government that is mired in uh, more deadlock, more disarray and unable to move forward. So uh, I have every sympathy with... You refuse to look at the photo. You've taken my phone, put it in your pocket, Prime Minister. His mother says the NHS is in crisis. What's your response? It's quite an astonishing moment, isn't it? And we don't actually see that on camera. Is it? The camera pull, pulls out and, and, and you suddenly see that the journalist is no longer holding the phone. Well, you can see he makes the move and you're watching it carefully. You can see him kind of, it's almost like watching a conjurer 
I'm acting. And he doesn't look at it. He doesn't. He no, just no, refuses to look at it. I'll but, study it later. What a strange thing to say. Also, notice the, the the smirking at the start of the interview. That's kind of very characteristic Johnson. You'll see him a, a lot in in any situation where he's under pressure. There's a, there's a lot of smirking. And then in that one, the smirking stops because he realizes he's in deep trouble. He realizes he's he's put himself in a position where he's actually really quite vulnerable. And Johnson vulnerable is not but a pretty sight. There's a question there, isn't there, about the extent to which he's he's ever really in in that much trouble. I mean, it's you know we said this before about the nature of our electoral system. The nature of our, our electoral system is that you don't need to win a majority. So the last time. Uh, what I would call a normal single-party government, so leaving aside the national government of the 1930s, uh, the last time a normal single-party government won a general election with a majority was 120 years ago. So you don't need to win a majority to win a general election. What you need to do is to is to win just over 40% of the votes. And the, 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 the issue with, with Johnson, it's a, it's a sort of confluence of things, but really it's about the tabloid press it's about the sorts of people who read the tabloid press. I'm not. I'm not criticising them. I'm just noticing it as a phenomena. Um, the tabloid press are, are willing to get behind Johnson. They're willing to um, create and sustain narratives that help him. Um, they're willing to attack um, his rivals. So look at how they treated Jeremy Corbyn in in both 2017 and 2019 elections. Um, and they're, they're willing to just not scrutinise him. What was astonishing about the 2019 election was the extent to which um, you know, Boris Johnson was able to say things that just weren't true. Um, we're looking at, um, as we speak now, um, violence on the streets of Northern Ireland. Um, obviously, that violence has complicated routes. And there are lots of different reasons why this is happening. But one of the reasons, certainly, is that um, Boris Johnson... Um, through the the DUP under, under the bus, through the loyal the loyalist community under the bus, by passing um, a Brexit deal that he knew would put a border down the Irish Sea. Um, so they're now living with the consequences of that. Um, and the Good Friday Agreement that was negotiated under John Major and then Tony Blair is looking really fragile at the moment. As is the future of. Um, the north of Ireland. So there's, there's just a lack of scrutiny of this guy. Um, and, you know, the, the moment for me, and I may well have mentioned this before, but the moment for me where it, where it really, really, really hit home, I mean, it had hit home lots of different times. But I remember on this occasion, I, I texted people, and this was the moment where um, 100,000 people had died of coronavirus and I remember texting several people saying, this is going to be a really bad day for the Prime Minister in the press. Finally, you know, it's, it's got to be. How on earth could it not be? And then I looked, it got to um, 10 o'clock, and I like to look as the newspapers come in on an evening. Um, there's a hashtag, tomorrow's papers today. And the newspapers started coming through on that hashtag. And it was astonishing. It was genuinely astonishing to see that, the tabloid press had turned that story of 100,000 people dying. And let's just be clear about what that means. That means a Wembley stadium full of people dead, partly as a result of um, a prime minister who at the beginning of the crisis was uninterested. He wasn't attending Cobra meetings, who throughout the crisis 
made mistake after mistake after mistake, who, who wasn't listening to scientific advice, uh, who was more concerned about the economy because he was convinced by the chancellor than he was about the risks involved. Um, that we get to 100,000 dead and, you, you know, he really is responsible for this. And the, the press turn it into a story about how we should feel sorry for the prime minister. Um, now, to be fair, I didn't expect to say to be fair, he gambled as this is, as he does. That's what the, the prime minister, if he's good at anything, it's gambling. Uh, it's taking risky decisions. The one thing that's gone right was the vaccine rollout. But let's be clear about why it went right. The Prime Minister was willing to take a huge gamble and to uh, pre-commit to these vaccines where, at a point where there was no evidence they'd be effective. Now, that's turned out to be a good strategy, but it didn't have to be the case that that was a good strategy. It could have been that these vaccines just didn't work. And then what, what, what would we have been talking about? We'd be talking about millions, sorry, billions and billions of pounds down the drain on vaccines that didn't work. And so the reason why we got ahead was because under this prime minister, we were willing to take a risk, and 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 that is, and that is yeah. going to rescue the man from from a calamitous series of errors that were totally avoidable. Um, and and the reason he makes these errors is because he's a fly by the seat of the pants prime minister. Uh, he's the ultimate. Um, uh, what do these say about Cameron? That, that he that essay he crisis. essay crisis prime minister. I mean this this guy is the ultimate essay crisis prime minister. He's not interested in detail. But 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 leaving that all of that aside, I say he's not interested in detail. He's also not interested in having a philosophy, having you know, so I, I would, when I reflect about this, when I reflect about this and I I think about well, what's the one question I could ask the prime minister to totally floor him. Uh, I would say which political philosopher do you most admire? No, he'd give you an answer straight away. I he wouldn't. He doesn't have a clue. No, no, I, no, no, no. He's way, you know, Johnson, he would say, what would he say to Burke? Or he'd say um, Peel. The thing about Johnson is he knows his lines. And 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 if you asked him, what's your political philosophy? He'd say freedom, uh, individual liberty, um, uh, uh, sovereignty of power. He, he'd be allergic. He, he knows this stuff. He's really good at it. Um, you know, people... People get Johnson wrong a lot of the time. You know, um, he he knows his audience really, really fucking well. That is what he's good at. You've he just won. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was worth it. I think, you know, <laughs> it's an important point. You know, it's true. It's what he's good at. And he knows it in his gut. He knows he knows exactly how to communicate. He knows how to get the pulses racing. And, and he knew that he could win the election in 2019 by unifying that 40, 45% of the vote um, that were, that, uh, which were basically could be aligned on essentially identity politics, right? It's interesting, isn't it? A lot of the right will talk about identity politics. We really don't like it because it's the right stock in trade is identity politics. You know, like post-Brexit, that was what they realised would work. Essentially, white, socially conservative voters could be told there are these nasty, threatening people coming to take away everything you hold dear, culturally, but also, you know, economically as well. Um, you know, the, so I'm talking here about, you know, reasonably affluent kind of homeowners, you know, living in parts of the North and the Midlands, the so-called Red Wall. Johnson just knew that you could unite that that section of the electorate with really, really well-targeted rhetoric. And that's what he did. But bear in mind, it wasn't like there was another option. You know, it, I don't know, some people sometimes talk about this as just like, it's just this amazing strategy. It's just like, what else were you going to do? 
Like that was the that was what they had to do. And the and the thing that you, the thing that distinguishes Johnson is not that he's a brilliant strategist. The thing that distinguishes Johnson is his ruthlessness. So with Theresa May, not a politician that I admire, but she has some compunction about about the kind of what she's willing to say and the extent to which she's willing to bend the truth. She has some compunction around that. And Johnson has absolutely none. So for him, it doesn't matter. You've got a goal and you just shoot at the goal and you don't care about anything other than whether it goes in. And and the and the thing about that is, as I've said before, if it goes in, you did it right. That's end of story. You don't relitigate the, t- the 2019 election later on and say, well, maybe morally it was a little bit, you know, dubious to start talking about no checks on, on Northern Irish trade because, you know, that could kind of that could have some pretty heinous political consequences. You don't care. You won the election. You, you, you're worried about how to win the next election in three or four years time. Yeah, and uh, and that's sort of there's a fundamental amorality in, in how he thinks, yeah. which makes him really effective. Which is well, exactly. So, so if we were going to say one nice thing about the prime minister, he's very good at winning elections. He just doesn't know what to do once he's got the serious job of um, actually governing the country. Shall we yeah, leave it there? Just, have, just on that, do you, do, I'll let you yeah. wrap up. Do you want to wrap up? Okay. I mean, so Johnson knows how to win elections in the context, the political context that he knows which is you have a sympathetic tabloid press. Um, you, you can basically rely on Eurosceptic rhetoric. You can bluster on about like national achievements and no one will really critically evaluate them. You know, if you give Boris Johnson like Jeremy Corbyn's hand, he'd have absolutely no chance. Like he'd be completely, absolutely at sea. So he's he, he understands the political context that he works in really well. And he knows how to, uh, as I say, he knows how to like galvanise his audience. And I think, you know, that's hopefully what we've what we've shown you in the clips we've shared with you today. That Johnson um, is a, is an instinctive politician like almost no one else. He's almost unmatched. In fact, I would say he is unmatched in his capacity to speak instinctively to the instincts and impulses of like socially conservative Middle Britain, and that and he's been rewarded for that with an electoral majority. Now. What? How is that going to unfold? Well, it's going to depend on two things, I think. Um, one is, will there be any change in the way the media deals with Johnson in the in over the course of the next two to three years? Will there be any recognition of the way in which he's been systematically indulged and efforts to to, to change that? The second thing is Johnson himself, because as I said earlier. Johnson is addicted to the High Wire Act. If, if things are going reasonably well and ticking on, he gets bored. He will do things that are self-destructive. He will then try and like salvage the situation. But I guarantee you, between now and the next election, Johnson will do self-destructive things. How self-destructive? How much of a price will he pay? We'll have to wait and see. But um, you know, he remains the dominant figure in British politics, despite the events of the past year. Okay, we'll leave it there. Don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you next time.